and you're very welcome back to the Public Eye Podcast, a six-part series of podcasts brought to you by Granite Exchange. I'm your host, Sarah Travers, and throughout this series, I'm speaking with local entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about how these companies have come to be, gain insight into their growth, and find out how they continue to innovate. So wherever you get your podcasts from, remember to keep an eye out for new episodes and subscribe to stay up to date. So who's my guest today? Well, I'm delighted to be joined by Brendan Carty, founder of Cologne Distillery. Brendan, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Sarah. Great to be here. Well, before we begin, I'm going to give you a tiny bit of background on Cologne Distillery before we get into the conversation. Located in the very heart of the beautiful Mourns, Cologne Distillery combines age-old traditions with the finest natural resources, creating an authentic and unique world-class spirit. Using handmade artisan stills, fondly known as Christor and Brock, Cologne Distillery have ensured that their spirits are a fitting tribute to the techniques of a bygone era. It sounds so romantic and uh, takes me back to the mists of time, but how did it all start, Brendan? Uh, the distillery itself um, it came from an idea, I suppose. Uh, in a previous life, I was an architect. Um, I uh, became chartered at the, during the crash, and I was working two days a week. Um, it just wasn't sustainable, and unfortunately, we had. I had moved overseas, and I moved to Australia. Um, was working there. Some beautiful buildings, some amazing companies and people. Uh, I really enjoyed my time there. But while I was out there, I was still, you know, enjoying Irish whiskey, <laughs> and I was also enjoying some Australian whiskies. And uh, I tasted a whiskey out there that I thought was just as good as the best of Irish whiskey. However, it was much younger. In fact, it was just over two years old. You're allowed to be a two-year-old whiskey out there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just thought, you know what? I'm going to go down and visit this place in Tasmania. I went down and visited it and I thought, I think I have to do this. Really? So you've always had that big an interest in spirits in whiskey? Yeah, definitely. In particular, pot still whiskey. Um, even from a young age, I used to steal a nip of my dad's the Powers whiskey, for instance. And, you know, he'd let you have a wee sip, and uh, you had this just this real lovely taste in it, and I didn't understand what that was. It's a blended whiskey, but it's just got this, it's got a very high pot, pot still content in that blend, and uh, that's what I realised was the enjoyable part of it, was that those pot still spices. So yeah, it's something I've always chased ever since. So you'll since. have to forgive my ignorance, so if there's anybody else like me out there, let's have a little bit of a crash course in the different types of whiskey. So pot still whiskey, mm-hmm. what's that? Postal whiskey is Irish whiskey. It's the the daddy of all Irish whiskies. It's mm-hmm. it's bold. It's complex. It's full bodied. In fact, before the boom of Scotch whiskey, Irish whiskey was king throughout the whole world. Irish whiskey was the whiskey of choice amongst the, the whole of the British Empire, the British aristocrats, amongst the whole of the Americas. It fell out of fashion for political reasons and and on all other reasons. You know, economic warfare between Ireland and the UK and. Also, prohibition in the states, Second World War, all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also uh, pot still. It was also this purity that we also always wanted to go for pot still over blends, which ended up blends are more economical, and we lost out, and the hard times came. But the thing about pot still whiskey is how it's made. Mm-hmm. So the Scotch are famed for their single malts, the Irish are famed for pot still whiskey. Single malt means the mash bill which is the recipe for a single malt, is 100% malted barley. Irish whiskey, however, contained malted barley, unmalted barley, 
oats, rye, and wheat. So you created these own your own recipes. Mm. So it ended up whenever you add oat, rye, and wheat in there, you get much more beautiful flavors, spicy flavors, uh, mouthfeel, character, body in your whiskey. A far more interesting whiskey when it's done right. I can see your passion for uh, what you've chosen to do. So you're still in Australia. You think I'm going to do this. What happened next? Um, well, look, it was time to come home, but for the time it was time to come home, I um, always had a, had a business plan drawn <laughs> drawn up, and I spoke to, you know, two very interesting colleagues, uh, Shane McCarthy and Liam Brogan, who went to school with me in St Coleman's College in Newry here, two guys from Hilltown, who had another company set up called Ireland Craft Beverages. They were basically exporting the best of our locally made produce abroad because there isn't a good market here. It's a very monopolised industry, particularly in the north. So these guys were doing a a stunning job telling the world about craft produce. So they knew the ins and the outs of the alcohol industry. They also knew about buying and selling and they had the the backbone as well to get a, a, a business set up. So that definitely helped. So the three of us set up the Cologne Distillery together. In the meantime, as well, I was still working as an architect for the local firm uh, Milligan Reside Larkin in Yuri here. It was a fantastic outfit. So <laughs> that continued for a couple of years as well. Uh, well, that's what they always say. You have to have something else. You have a bit of a side hustle until you can go yeah. on your own, out on your own. What about your family? What did they make of what you were doing? Uh, people thought you were mad, <laughs> you know, especially a career that you worked, you know, so long and hard for seven and a half years yeah. in university scraping and being broke working extremely long hours sitting up all night making models and designs and studying for exams legal exams at the end and I didn't throw away that career but it's still I still enjoy it as a hobby but you've swapped them over now you so that the architecture's become your hobby but maybe your family went are you crazy they did and friends of the family and trusted relatives trusted friends but it's worked out okay though hasn't it so far so good yeah it definitely has (laughs) how long ago was that then uh, so that would have been then about th- three years ago because although all the work was done in the background, you were working away subconsciously in this business and still working as an architect and you were living two lives, you didn't know what to do and then eventually, about three years ago, you just took the jump. And uh, what did that jump involve? Jump involved just, uh, I don't know, a, a, a realisation that I was I'm going to leave this my current job and go full-time into the distillery. Did you feel nervous? Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Very frightening. Uh, you didn't have the full support and confidence of all your friends and family, and yeah, um, there's also yeah. So there's other people to consider when you're doing this. So there was th- that in the back of your mind. You were worried for other people's sake. Mm. Um, but it was a risk worth taking. Now you needed a location for this. Tell me a mm. bit about where you are located because it sounds mm. idyllic. What's oh, it like? A beautiful location. It's there's a wonderful townland called Kilfegan or Kilfahan. Uh, as the locals would call it um, and it's nestled between two mountains in the Mourns Formal and Nakshi Nakshi basically the Irish for you know Crookshi the hill of the fairies so there's lots of lore and tradition around the area um, overlooking the Irish Sea and Carlingford Loch uh, high in, in the Mourns it's got its own little microclimate fluctuating temperatures perfect for aging whiskey um, it's a very tight rural lane. It's difficult to get lorries up and down for deliveries and collections. But uh, we make do. It's Ireland's smallest distillery, and uh, it's got it's got this g- tremendous group of followers, people who have been following us from day on, and it's growing. They know they call themselves the Cologne Cult, in fact. <laughs> and uh, 
they've set themselves up and we've given them our blessing and yeah they've done worked wonders for us so social media has been fantastic social media as well yeah and um supporters have basically organized themselves in social media for us which is which is great so, so when you started the whole distilling process what did you actually need in your small distillery uh hmrc approval Right. Which is the main thing because okay. HMRC police alcohol very tightly. Yes. Uh, it's not r- the most interesting thing in the world. It's not like talking about mash bills and flavours, but it's so important. Uh-huh. It's a bond. They see that as storing alcohol is storing their money. So once alcohol leaves our premises, £28.40 per litre of alcohol needs to be paid directly to the government plus VAT on top of that. It's a lot of dough. Phew. So uh, they need to see that as secure. So there's a lot of checks. They keep yeah, a lot of records. Um, they also carry checks and visits, uh, investigations if anything goes wrong. Security is paramount. Cameras, up burglar alarms, double doors, metal doors, Good Lord, window really? protection, all these things. So they, this is a bond. So we had to get expertise in that matter. So there's a local lady from the Dublin Road here in Uri, Anita Farmer. Um, she basically would be the, the the expert for the region in that area and we got our approvals in record time thanks to her expertise so if anybody needs to set up a distillery you need an anita farmer <laughs> to do <laughs> you that need so. anita. well there's yeah. such a great history of, of distilling though in this part of the world and it's mm-hmm. really having something of a renaissance yeah it is indeed in fact there's a regionalism starting to emerge in irish whiskey mm-hmm. you've got the cork uh Contingent, you know that the beautiful Middleton and those pot mm-hmm. stills that are um, owned by uh, Pernod Ricard, and then you've got West Cork, which is an independent distillery further out, which is another beast of a distillery, two giant distilleries, and then in County Down, I think there's more distilleries in County Down than any other county in Ireland. Yeah, and they've got they've all got their own different accents and dialects. Acklinville Distillery, for instance, just over uh, the other side of Strangford, southeast down, uh, there are amazing people over there and. They've been about now for a long time. The whiskies they're producing are fantastic too. And right here in Uri, Matt Darcy's, for instance, it just goes on and on. So. so whenever we are able to get up and running and travel again, I mean, I would mm. imagine that, you know, there's a huge uh, world out there and so many whiskey drinkers. Maybe County Down can be, you know, bringing the tourists here on that whiskey trail. I agree. Yeah, if you look to Scotland, for instance, you know there's Speyside, there's Isla, Highland, Lowland, all these different regions in their whisky. Uh, Tasmania itself has a massive tourism industry. Uh, we're actually working. I'm part of a tourism group here called Visit Morn. So Tracy Mooney's heading that up from the Newry Council, and there's a lot of different uh, uh, different businesses joined together for tourism to boost this as a tourist region, and uh, it ties in the Morn and Gullion region as well. And uh, I think once it opens up, as you say, this uh, this region will explode for quality tourism, high-end tourism, and that's what we want. It's so exciting. Now, tell me about actually producing um, the spirits, because, you know, at what point can you actually sell the spirit that you've been making over the last number of years? Yeah, it, we can, we've about one year to go until our own spirit is actually called whiskey, and we've had our spirits tasted by some of the most respected palates in the industry. Mm-hmm. And they've been saying... Wonderful things. Oh, uh, wow. What have they been saying? I don't want to sort of big ourselves <laughs> up because we, we do. <laughs> they're still quite anxious about the whole thing. But, yeah, they're basically saying that it's, it's tasting 
it's tasting amazing. We're making Irish whiskey the way it was made, the way it should be made. It's bold, it's full-bodied, it's complex. None of the three myths of Irish whiskey that you might hear in marketing. Please. You know, when Irish whiskey had to survive, they told the three lies that Irish whiskey is always triple distilled, smooth and non-peated. You're Irish, saying that's a lie? Irish whiskey became triple distilled, yes. And we had to market ourselves as something to survive. And smooth Irish whiskey seemed to fill that void and keep us alive uh, for a while. But that's what we hear all the time when you when you think about Irish whiskey. So what are you mm. saying then? If you talk to your grandparents and they would have spoke fondly of pots of Irish whiskey, they would have said there was eating and drinking in it. <laughs> Bold, full-bodied, spicy stuff. You could chew on it. That's because of the oat in there. And whenever you use pot still spice, there was a lot of spice in there as well. And it was bloody peated as much as it was, as it was unpeated. Peated whiskey in Ireland, it, it isn't just a new phenomenon. So Cologne's making peated pot still Irish whiskey with old school mash bills, extra oat, rye and wheat, as well as malted barley and unmalted barley. These all create, for, for instance, unmalted barley creates pepper. Malted barley gives this lovely honey sweet note. Rye creates its own spice, ginger, oat is like cream mm. and mouthfeel. It's like cooking with oil and not cooking with oil. When you don't cook with oil, you don't make nice food. When you do cook with oil, you make lovely food. Oat, oat is the oil. And if there's oil in your palate, the flavours stay there for longer. And you, that's what pot still is all about. I don't think I've ever interviewed anybody about alcohol or spirits and I actually felt hungry. I want to, I want to sample <laughs> exactly. some of these. Um, tell me about these, the artisan stills that you have and you've got names for them. Mm. Yeah, so... There's two stills that are flame-fed uh, at the time. I think there's another one or two distilleries in Ireland now with flame under the stills, but we were the first people to bring that back. Wow. Using fire under a still is a difficult thing to get past, you know, your, your health and safety mm-hmm. uh, issues. But when you do it safely and do it right, it's good. Um, in fact, it's amazing because when you use fire under the still, it burns at the base of the still and creates a chemical process known as a Maillard reaction. Any chefs out there <laughs> or studied culinary backgrounds, they would know what that means. Maillard reaction is when amino acids and sugars char at the base of the still and create a caramelization. And uh, it adds another layer of dimension fl- dimension of, of flavor to, to, to the whiskey. So uh, we also use worm tub condensers. They fell out of fashion in the 60s because they're highly inefficient. So our stills are running for far longer than they need to. Um, we should be running them maybe on a six hour shift instead. We would need to run them over 12 hours to create a beautiful spirit. So. That, that's another. The worm tub makes a much more bold, full-bodied spirit. The two names are interesting because mm. Brock is a fun name. Brock uh, just comes from Badger, the Irish for Badger. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Badgers around Kilfehim and uh, it, it was it's quite low set and solid and it reminded us of a Badger. <laughs> and then Creestor is a much, it's a bigger still. It's the wash still. It's a thousand litres. So we just named it aptly after uh, an important young man who died actually three years ago this month. Um, it, it from the local area, and he was f- very f- uh, fondly connected to the Franklin family, who who we leased the the shed off as a long term lease. So there's a nice connection there with that name, uh, Christor being the Irish for Christopher. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, mm. this is really like a masterclass uh, for pot still whiskey distilling. I'm jotting all of th- these these words down that I've never even heard before, and learning about things like the Maillard reaction and flame fired, but. This podcast is sponsored by Granite Legal Services, a niche business and immigration law practice located in the heart of Newry City. Granite Legal Services provides legal advice to both individuals and companies alike across a wide range of industries, from employment, commercial or corporate law matters to immigration law. 
Granite Legal Services focuses on providing legally sound, practical advice to its clients. To get in touch, visit www.granitelegalservices.co.uk or contact 028 3026 2200. As a business model then, when you open a distillery, but you can't actually sell your whiskey until it becomes whiskey uh, for three years, you've got to make some money. So what are you selling in the meantime? Yeah, two main things. Well, three main things. Gin has been going very well. Native botanicals picked from the Mourn Mountains. The other one was bonded whiskey. So we buy in whiskey. We put it in creative casks. We tell people exactly, we, we blend different whiskies together, which hadn't been done before from, you know, further up north and further down south, and put them into three different blends, uh, put them in a range of casks, send them out to people without any dilution or any filtration and no added colour. So these integrity things and all the information on the label just generated this cult following that we have today. Wow. And aside from that, then, there's another amazing spirit that's been overlooked in Ireland, uh, our own native spirit. They came before whiskey, uh, potching. Oh my goodness, you're making potching. Potching, yeah. Are you allowed to make potching? Yeah, they say potching was made illegal in 1661 with the formation of excise duty under um, conquest. And uh, in 1987, it became protected. with a technical file protecting it that said that it can be that you know whether certain strings attached to making it so it became legalized but it was this technical file i like the whiskey technical file it was written by people who presumed to own the category and seen potching as a threat to whiskey and it's basically a corruption i don't mind saying it we get in trouble for these things all the time but it was and through the law for for potching needs changed potching had a fondness the word potching itself means little pot, but like any of the old Irish words with een at the end, like mawurnin or bodging, it has a fondness to it. Yeah, so if everybody had a pot in, in the community when they were making potching back in the day, and potching was made nice. It was beautiful spirit, but whenever you're forced into the hills and glens to make it in, in the back of, you know, using second-hand equipment or whatever, poor equipment, you're going to make poor potchings. And unfortunately, it's got a bad name, but potching when it's made well, is an amazing produce and it is the unsung hero of Irish distillation and we should be promoting it for ourselves and worldwide and enjoying that. So you have really, you know, stumbled across something that could be our best kept secret. Now, from my experience of potching, which is very, very limited, I remember trying a little sample of something, it was quite strong. (laughs) Yeah, it can be. And not cut well, maybe, and not diluted slightly and the cuts are important in distillation. The first bit you get out of your distillation, is you should it's you should be discarding that. That's methanol. Uh, methanol creates blindness in a best-case situation. Oh, my goodness. That explains a lot. Yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> uh, liver failure or worse. So you need to be very skilled. Uh, what, what do you do with that? Some people will put that back into the pot you're not realising. And uh, things can go wrong. So you can wake up with a very bad headache. Yeah. So how can you um, regulate that? I mean, there could be people listening to this going, seriously, mm. I'm allowed to purchase potching, but they might be apprehensive about what might happen. Yeah, but if it's made in a registered place, mm. the HMRC have done their checks, you know what you're doing. Um, there's also health and safety checks done for, you know, food production facilities and any good potchings are made. People know what they're doing. And uh, So here's yeah. another thing. Is this a myth? Um, is it made from potatoes? It is a myth. Yeah. That's a myth. There might have been a little bit of potato used, but if you think potato, although they're a massive part of the Irish diet, potato is a 
is a newcomer to Ireland. Around the Victorian times, it was, you know, capitalised with their laissez-faire economics. And, they, they, you know, potato is a stranger. It's a Peruvian vegetable root. It, it came here quite quite recently, if we think about it. Poching predates the potato. We made poaching, and we still do to this day, from grain, from oats, rye, wheat. Basically, it's an, an unaged pot still whiskey. I'm sure people are loving listening to this. Honestly, it is mm. so, so interesting. Um, and how's the potching going down then with the, with your customers? A treat, it really is. So uh, at the start of March now, we, we just released our, our uh, Kuga range potching, which sold out very quickly. We didn't expect it. It sold out in about three or four minutes. Um, and how long does it take to produce a bottle? Uh, the, the ridiculous rules around potching state that you can only leave it in a cask for 10 weeks but you don't have to put it in a cask at all. So it could just take anything, maybe just over a week to produce. Right. And it, it could. And where are your customers coming from then? Where are you selling? Well, it was great. There was a, a set of our potching just arrived in Australia today. There oh. was one, there was five arrived in the USA yesterday. It was nice to see most of them around the Republic of Ireland and, and uh, the North here. And then there's around mainland United Kingdom as well. Germany, we have good trading partners in Germany as well. So it's we have a... We're about to go out to the States now very soon. Um, so, yeah, there's growth, and it's sustainable growth. It's not just exploding. Um, we're also <laughs> keeping our heads mm. when we're doing it. How has the past year been for you? It was uh, tricky. It was insane. There was uh, a bit of disruption, you know, with COVID and that. We did miss the closing down of the pubs. was a massive kick, but uh, we ploughed on with our plans. Um, we released a whiskey. Nobody was releasing whiskey at the time. Everybody thought, everybody just stopped. All the big companies stopped, all the smallest. Nobody released anything. It just went quiet. And we were like, what are people doing? So we, we went and released a whiskey, sent samples out to all of the most interesting people in the whiskey industry, and um, also to some influencers as well, if you like. And there was a whiskey, people were at home. Whiskey fanatics were at home with no whiskey to drink. So they had nothing to talk about. And luckily, Cologne exploded onto the stage with another whiskey and everybody had something to talk about. And then I got on a few podcasts with my controversial views and called a few uh, groups and organisations out who have legal influence. And I suppose people got to know what Cologne was about and they got to understand our personality and the quality of our spirit then very quickly. And this was a bonded experimental series that, that whiskey that I'm talking about. And luckily... We, can, we that 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 worked for us. So, what is the whiskey industry like? What's it like being the new kid on the block? Is it welcoming? Yeah, there's a lot of camaraderie. Thankfully, it's full of interesting people with the best of intentions at heart. There's a lot of women coming on board now as well. It's nowhere near balanced. That's still very much out of balance, but it's moving in the right direction. People of the people of the best of interests at heart, and th there's actually this network, underground network of people, you would not believe it, sending samples of whiskey to each other around the country, the UK, Iceland, around the world, the USA. Basically, if you buy a, a, a bottle of whiskey and you want to taste it and they sell out fast, people split their bottles up, pour them out into miniature bottles. And my house is probably coming down with miniature bottles from right? buying, uh, buying my own, shipping them out to other people and receiving them from other people. It's just just this wonderful community of people looking out for each other. And is everybody know? wanting to try new things? I would have thought that you very much had the whiskey that you loved and you stuck to that, you know, especially when it comes to where you get your whiskey from. But you're saying, a bit like with 
the gin fanatics they they're they're loving to try new flavors new tonics new way of yeah. you know of drinking it is it the same in the in the world of whiskey it's probably the same a lot lot more <laughs> 10 times more is that right? experimental everybody wants to try everything and so i don't even like whiskey isn't that awful i feel like i'm gonna have mm. to start learning um, you, yeah. what would you recommend to somebody who's who, who, who's not an accomplished whiskey drinker if they were beginning i would say Everybody likes whiskey. They just don't know that they do. So there's a lovely one coming out now, you know, a 40% whiskey, the 1808 that I tasted la last night from Ecklandville. It's a nice blend. It's 40%. It's very mellow. It's a, it's qu it's a nice little blend. I would recommend trying it. And how do you have new. your whiskey? Uh, if I was not used to drinking whiskey, I would, I would drink it. You can have it with ice. You can have it with a little bit of lemonade if you want, or even sparkling water. Me personally, I just drink it neat. No, no water, no ice. Um, if you put ice in it, you lose those flavours. But if you're just starting into whiskey, there's no rules. Don't be listening to whiskey snobs telling you you have to drink it this way, you have to drink it that way. So I often wondered, you know, if you worked with spirits and whiskey all of the time, a bit like if you're a chocolatier, you get to the point where you're, where you're, it's it's work, so you're smelling, you're tasting, but you're not maybe choosing to sit down with that tipple in the evening. Is it is it the same for you? Because you you know you're surrounded by it all day. That you think the last thing I want now is is it's a wee dram. Do you know what? Yeah, last week I actually felt like that. I was just sick of the sight of <laughs> because I was exhausted we had just done the release and there was a lot of tastings going on and I was thinking but that only lasted for a day <laughs> then the next evening I was like right finished work now uh, what will I have for my wind down and I looked around you know, and mm -hmm. got a, a nice little whiskey and sat down, and that's it. Then mm -hmm. you can relax for the evening. Do you, do you, being in the in the drinks industry as well, do you have a sense of responsibility around you know selling alcohol because there are people out there that um, you know do have problems, and mm -hmm. do you feel that that industry needs to be regulated more to help people? I think there's a very good point there. Thankfully, when you're in the um, the premium whiskey industry, uh, you're not selling to abusers. Um, to the same extent as you would be if you're selling, you know, real budget alcohol. In Scotland, they've made some good initiatives there in recent years to increase the price of, uh, you know, very poor quality sort of drinks. And I know that looks like a bad move in a way because it, it looks like it's a tax on the poorest of society. And uh, I'd be considering myself very socially aware. Mm -hmm. But in all, it, um, it, 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 it didn't seem to work out that way. You know, so it just it just meant people started started to buy less. Thankfully, in Scotland, it was a risky experiment. It was quite controversial at the mm -hmm. time, so maybe they could bring that that in here. But I think with premium quality spirits, um, they they don't impact problem drinkers. Okay. So that's that's luckily enough. Can I go I back to the potching because I'm <clears throat> I can't let that go. Mm. What? How do you drink potching? The same for me personally. The same as you drink whiskey. But uh, there's say there's a bar in Dublin that was set up about four years ago to just with potching in mind. It's oh. called 1661, uh -huh. named after the formation, the date of formation of excise in, in Ireland. Uh, 1661 makes has all the potchings in the country in that bar. It's well worth a visit. It's it's an amazing bar. Is it an aperitif or is it at end of the evening in the armchair winding down? They all taste different. So there's different like different whiskies. Some are dry, some are sweet, some are spicy, some are peated like the one we released very recently. It's like a real turf fire with and it, you know, that's what it's <laughs> like. So if if um so whatever your 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 cup of tea is, it's about experimenting. But they're great in cocktails. We use our potching in a we call it a clone coffee. 
you basically put it in the uh, in an Irish coffee instead of your whiskey. No, I like the sound of that. Whereas, yeah, Bond, they, they put theirs into, they call it a Belfast coffee. When they, they put it in uh, a co- chilled coffee, cold brew coffee, with a little bit of nutmeg on top. It works perfectly as well. So there's those are just two examples using coffee. But you can, any whiskey cocktail, if you replace the whiskey with a potching, it's just, it's just lovely. An old-fashioned, for instance. And what do the family think now? Aye. Oh, they're happy enough. They, they get to see. They obviously see the method in the madness now. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, everything's going well. It sounds <laughs> so really far. exciting. So how do you get away from work? It sounds pretty full on at the minute. But mm-hmm. what do you do to unwind? Yeah, there's, 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 you can't get away from it, unfortunately. Especially with the lockdown as it is. You, you know, you used to be able to at least travel with work down south but that's not going to happen but the Mourn Mountains are on our doorstep and last May I just re- rediscovered the Mourns and, and took a hike around the mountains uh, done the Mourn Wall Challenge um, the Mourns are there now so we just every weekend every Sunday we walked up a couple of mountains last Sunday so yeah that's, that's sure you live that's in the most it. beautiful part of the world it's and nice. being a County Down native how important is it that you can live and work at home especially when you've travelled and you've been in other places. How important is it to be home? It's uh, every time when you're away, all you do is compare things to home. Think about home. Think about the family. You know where where you come from. Yeah, yeah. There's nowhere like it. And then when you come back and you look at Carlingford Lock, the Coolies and the Morns, it's they're they're up there with any of the scenes you might have seen around America or Australia. You know, everywhere's beautiful in its own right. But there's the, we are this part, of the north just punches way above its weight it really does and it's a hidden gem for tourism and uh, i don't know if we should open it up maybe we keep it all to ourselves you know? <laughs> no. but uh, it's only a matter of time people are going to come here and it's the visit morn is going to as a tourist destination is going to explode and you, you will know. be part of that tourism offering we already are yeah. uh, there's there's a fantastic core group of businesses there now that are really pushing that um it spans from Gullion, Newry, over to Downpatrick, and then the sh- to 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 Strangford, and uh, yeah, the, you want to see what we have to offer. It's it's it is brilliant, you know. Yeah, world, to, to we're ready. We're ready for you. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Now, the purpose of this podcast, Brendan, is to inspire existing business owners and ambitious entrepreneurs to grow their business by offering insight into the success of companies such as your own at Cologne Distillery. But what advice would you give to people who may have that idea but have no idea where to begin or unsure as to whether or not that risk is worth taking? And I'm glad I'm asking you that question because you've taken a risk. Yeah. Um, God, it was it was a tough one, especially when I had worked so hard on an existing career. But I think so life's advice? fluid, you know, and you, sometimes you think that... Uh, don't worry about what other people think as much. I suppose you just have to, to go for it. Um, I have a bit of confidence and um, God I don't even think I had confidence I think it was just it was just happening and I got myself deeper and deeper and I had to keep going um, but yeah just talk to your friends and talk to your family and, and uh, talk to somebody who's done it before don't rely too much on <laughs> any organisations that pretend to have small businesses Right so you didn't have a good experience <coughs> with support I don't think so. Not okay. yet. Not yet. Anyway, maybe in time. I mm. think they're designed to help big business. Mm. Oh. Is my opinion, which right. is probably the issue with society today. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, there's so not were there a lot of naysayers? Um, yeah, people looking at you like you're mad, and they sort of would laugh. Uh, and you remember it now, and that makes it. It makes it 
so much more motivating when people think that it's not a good idea or when they sort of you know write you off at an early stage and uh, just lump you in even some good friends have done it and it just makes it so much more motivating because you can just sit back now and go right it's actually still working it there's a lot of challenges ahead we're still a young company not all out of the woods yet but at the same time so uh, was it just thranness that kept you going do you think i think so <laughs> it definitely was it's a motivating factor and yeah. like and it's paid off shane mccarthy and liam brogan and their success of their own company as well mm-hmm. and um all companies with challenges you know uh, but the guys that, that put out their support as well you know just that yeah it, it does help you had you had somebody who had your back you two guys who had your back and that was great yeah they, they had uh, i think one thing they had was confidence anyway, you know, and that was great, you know. Okay, yeah. well, great advice then if anybody's <laughs> listening. So a bit of thrandness and some confidence to keep to keep going. Yeah, and even if it's not your own confidence, just have borrowed confidence from somebody else. It's just as good. Love it. Yeah. Brendan Cardy, founder of Cologne Distillery, thank you so much for being my guest on the Public Eye podcast. Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks, folks, also for joining us uh, wherever you are and join me for the next episode coming up soon. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.